2 Peter chapter 2. What we want to do is, as soon as there's a little pushback about something we're doing in, in regards to worshiping the Lord, we want to change everything. In the 70s and 80s, churches were going through this big church growth. Most of the books written back in that day were something about how to grow a church, how to grow a church. And churches were reacting, meaning that they were doing things, hey, let's make it for the, so that everybody feels comfortable when they come to church. Let's make it sure that no one's offended. Uh, I want to remind you this morning, the cross is offensive. You've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And, and, there, and to my knowledge, uh, we don't have the liberty to change what God has put in place. Now, now um, styles are different. Preferences are different. Renee grew up in a church that was very country. I mean, very country. Uh, they sang, Pearl, they sang the same hymns every service because the piano player only knew a few hymns. This church has never had that problem. Um, I came from a church that was kind of liturgical, formal. In the bulletin, we're going to stand on this song and we're going to sit on this song, and it kind of was, everything was kind of mapped out. Very few amens. Bill Ladd amened all the time. But if anything else came out during a worship service, you're thinking, hey, we've got a visitor here today. Um, I, I don't want to be that way. I, as your pastor, I don't want to be quiet in worship anymore. Because if I, if I can't praise the king of glory now, heaven's going to be a very uncomfortable place. Every knee, every voice, any crown laid at the feet of Jesus for his glory. Amen? Now, I'm going to divide the crowd this morning. And this is going to literally tell the rest of the church if you're old or not. Here it is. How many of you can remember the program, the TV show, to tell the truth? Leave your hand up. Look around, young people. Marcia, didn't you raise your hand in first service? Okay, listen, every hand that's up is pretty much we're saying we remember the day. Go ahead and put them down. To tell the truth, they would bring in three people and they would have a host of guests and panelists who would try to decide who was telling the truth. Three people would claim to do the same thing. And then you had to decide which one was really the rocket scientist or the astronaut or something like that. And if you remember, he would say, would the real one please stand? And at the end, the other two would try to fake. They'd start to go up and they'd come back down and, and sit down. Finally, somebody would stand up and they discovered who was telling the truth. Well, when you look at 2 Peter chapter 2 this morning, I believe that Peter is really set up what the church has to be on guard of. So far, Peter has written about persecution from the outside. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he begins to deal with trouble from the inside. And it comes in the form of false teaching and false prophets. And that leads to false doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe. Amen? 
we have what's called the Baptist faith and message. It's our statement of faith. Where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God. But yes, false prophets and false teachers, they were beginning to change the truth. So this morning, I want us to look at a few verses and a few thoughts in regards to telling the truth. My dad has always taught me growing up that if you tell the truth, you can have a short memory because the truth doesn't change. We get in trouble when we start lying, do we not? When we start wondering if the story we told mom and dad is the same story that I told them yesterday. But when I tell the truth, I can have a short memory. So we begin in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, But there were also false prophets among the people. I want you to circle among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you, circle among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. But covetousness, they will exploit you by that with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Peter begins to build a strong case to the Christian that we have to be on guard of false teaching. It's interesting that... Uh, Prior to chapter 2, no wonder he built a case for how the Christian should look and how the Christian life should be lived because he's recognizing to help us that we're, we're coming into something that's unlike anything we've ever seen in our lives. Folks, let me tell you something. Any adult in this place has seen a major change and a major shift in, cultural, in culture as we know it. What used to be a friend to culture, a friend to the community, a friend to our nation, seems to somehow be uh, an opponent, and that is the truth and the things of the Word of God. The church house used to be full as people would come and worship. Uh, but do you know why the uh, standard worship time uh, was moved to like 11 o'clock back in the day? Because they wanted to make sure that farmers were able to take care of their uh, business at home before they could get to church. It was that important. And now we schedule everything in the world to conflict with the most important thing in life. Now, my prayer for the Super Bowl is this. It's very clear. I pray the Bengals win. But I pray that one of those Bengals will step up in front of a mic and give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't get there by yourself. You get there because of things working together. I'm looking for a microphone that's going to brag on Jesus. And my prayer is that God will raise up the man, listen, ram or bingle, who will give him glory. So here's what Peter says. First of all, there are false prophets among you. Look around. Look around where you're sitting. Look somebody in the eye. 
That's what he's saying. They're among you. There's someone who is going to spread uh, anti-truth that's sitting in your pew this morning. He says, not only a false prophet, but it's a false teacher who's among you. Now, listen carefully. Sometimes we have folks come to our church that are gifted to serve. Maybe you've led where you've been. And you get aggravated at us because we want you to wait a little while before you lead here. Let me tell you something. Based on 2 Peter, you need to be very careful about decisions you make of who's going to stand in front of others. The Bible says there's a stricter judgment for those who lead. And folks, as your shepherd, my job is to protect us. It's not that that we want to be mean. It's not that it's, it's, it's our group and what do we need to do to break in. It's the fact that we need to get to know each other and to make sure that we're standing on the same truth. He said, there are false prophets among you. There are false teachers, and here's what they do. Look at verse 1. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Have you ever tried to fix something only to break it? I'm not sure I should tell this story. In the first service, there were no trustees. There are some in this service. I, was, I thought I was trying to help. I went into the bathroom, the men's bathroom this past week, and I noticed they, they don't have lights like this. If you step out in the hall, we have those two-by-four fluorescent lights. You know what I'm talking about. They have the cover and you drop down, and they have four bulbs in them like the school, and you change them. Well, I noticed that the plastic grid on the light didn't look very good, and I thought, well, I'm going to change that. That's got to be easy. Well, the first problem I had was the way the, the, the bathroom set up on an angled wall, this, this light fixture would not open all the way. I couldn't get it to drop down unless I was willing to take some kind of electrical fixture off the wall. I'm not doing that. I'm in there saying stuff like this. What's up with this? Well, finally, I was able to get that, Dan, Don, you guys, Fred, forgive me for what I'm about to say. Finally, I got it off, the, 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 the screen, the whole thing. Got it down, and I said, I've seen some of these plastic covers upstairs. I'll change it. Now, keep in mind, what am I doing? I'm trying to help. Well, here's where it all began. Took it to the conference room. I found them upstairs. Hey, man, this is going to look good. I'll get this back up there. Well, I broke the one taking it out, and I broke the one putting it in. I began to sweat. I, I began to get nervous. I thought, who am I going to call? Who, all these years, these trustees have bailed me out. I don't know if these three guys will understand who am I going to call. And I thought about calling Bob Weitzel. But I didn't. What was I doing? I was trying to help. Finally, I, I got it in. 
and realized that I have wobbered all the frames so bad it would not go back up into the slot. Anybody with me? Now I'm really sweating. Now I'm really sweating. So I left it for church Wednesday night. I just left the hole up there, ladder in there. Some guys came in, and they're in this service. And I told them, I need you after, Dave, I need you after church. You've been there. What am I doing? I'm trying to help the church. And I've already broken not one, not two, but three of those plastic things. Thank the Lord we had a lot on stock. And after church, I went in there, and it was already up and done. What are you saying, Brother Greg? I'm saying there have been plenty of times, me as your pastor, when I've tried to help and made a mess of what I was dealing with. Anybody want to say amen? And life's like that sometimes. You try to fix it. You try to get your kids. You try to, you try to bring peace and harmony back, and it just seems to go the other way, and you're wondering what in the world's happening. Well, in this passage, Peter's saying, listen, it's going, it's going to get worse, but it's not just from others, it's from the inside. You know, sometimes you and I create problems, do we not? We create problems. But yet, somehow, God is in the problem-fixing business. He says there'll be false prophets among you, there'll be teachers among you, be careful, and they'll be deceptive. And that's just the way the devil works. He says they'll be among you, be careful, they'll be around you secretly, be on guard, but know it's coming. You know the Bible has a lot to say about being sober or being, being awake or alert. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope of salvation. Titus 2.2, Paul writes to that young preacher, boy Titus, and says, May the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. You'll say, Brother Greg, he's talking to older men. No, Titus 2.6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And even Peter. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace of that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why be sober? Why be alert? Because false teaching was secretly being brought in. And it was making a difference. And I want to remind you this morning that the devil is a liar. The devil's a liar. He's not going to show you. He's not going to show you the payday that's coming because of sin. Um, somebody forgive me, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe I saw somewhere that tonight's commercials are $7 million for 30 seconds. Somebody's paying a lot of money tonight for a big splash. 
Tomorrow morning, they'll be talking about the, the, the best commercials from the Super Bowl because they know there's a captive audience. Uh, if you're looking for Johnny Cash and Vince Gill tonight at halftime, you're going to be disappointed. We'll probably not be able to understand anything they say, but yet America will make a big fuss over the presentation. Folks, I'm here to tell you, the devil is a liar who secretly deceives his way in to lives. I believe Peter's saying that that same liar deceives his way into church sometimes. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We've got to stand on the Word of God, amen? If I had a preacher that didn't open the Bible, I'd be a little concerned. I would be concerned. If I want opinion, I'm going to watch a news channel. But it's the Word of God, and, and, and he's saying, listen, all these characteristics of Christianity early in 2 Peter, I've told you that for a reason, that you should grow in your faith because it's coming, deception is coming from outside, and it's going to come within. Be very, very careful. Why? Because the devil's a liar. And those who think, don't think they will, will. And those who say it'll never happen to me, it happens to you. And the Bible, and in this text, it uses the word covet. It means to want what somebody else has. And if the devil can't have your soul for eternity, he wants to make you a miserable Christian. He's a good communicator. The devil can speak your language. He knows what will make you trip. He's persistent. He never lets up. He's always there, willing to take advantage of any weakness. So what is the definition of a false teacher? Yeah, you have this in front of you in your, your handout. Here's the first thing. A false teacher is one who knows truth. He knows truth, yet deliberately lies for a certain purpose. It might be selfish. It might be to please people. It might be because of money or gain that they're trying to receive. Now, I want to use an example, if you'll bear with me, of two family members I have, Kobe and Jordy, the two youngest grandsons, seven and five. They're both on the same basketball team. Jordy's only allowed to be on the team because his dad's the coach, so he gets to play on that team, and he doesn't get to play a whole lot. He doesn't start, but man, when he gets in, he can do something very well. You ready? Here, see if you can guess what it is, Gracie. I mean, he runs up and down that court with the best of them and could care less sometimes if he touched the ball. It's almost like the ball has a plague. I need to avoid it at all costs or I'm out. But he enjoys running up and down the court, and he's content to do that. I mean, we clap just when he bumps into people. Kobe, on the other hand, We keep score for a reason. There ain't no everybody gets a trophy on this team. We either win or lose. And I'm playing to win 
And if that means the brother has to sit the bench to get out of our way, Dad, you sit him down. Are you with me? Two completely different mindsets. And I have a feeling that sometimes in the Christian life, we're like Jordy, and we just want to run back and forth to church from Sunday to Sunday, never really grow, never really grow stronger or getting better as a Christian. When I say better, growing deeper in your faith, and we're content with that. And Peter's saying, that's not going to keep you for today. You're going to have to be willing to seek the Lord with all of your heart and recognize that the deceitful devil wants to destroy your life. Now, we've got teenagers in this service. Let me tell you something about being a teenager. They're some of the most fun days of your life. Are they not adults? Some of the most fun days. They're also some of the most life-changing days of your life, meaning you can make a decision in a split second that will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. What do you mean, Brother Greg? You want to get a little more specific? Yeah, let's do that. God created sex to be special between a husband and a wife. Let's get a little clearer. A man and a woman. Married. No guilt, no shame, the beauty of God's creation. You might be here today and you're not married and you're, you're involved in that. Let me tell you, it's not too late. It's time to make a good decision and recognize that God has something better. You see, the devil is a schemer. He wants to ruin what God created as good. Now, this doesn't stop after three verses. Peter uses three examples to get our attention, beginning with verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, he uses three. Okay? He uses three. He uses fallen angels. He uses a picture of a wicked world. He uses the picture of Noah's day. He uses uh, the picture of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. But what he's talking about is judgment. Judgment. Now, when you look at verse 4, he says, If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, many would look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, listen, here's what the devil says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The Bible says you will be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, let me tell you what Warren Wiersbe says about this verse. And it's kind of where I'll rest this passage at right here. He says, we don't have to debate the hidden mysteries of this verse. You don't have to figure it all out. If God judged the angels, he certainly will judge rebellious man. Don't you worry about that. You know, the Bible says we're all sinners. 
The Bible says that judgment is without mercy. The Bible says there's coming a day when I can live my life without Jesus Christ as Lord. There's coming a day when I will bend my knee to God and confess him as King of kings and Lord of lords, but dying lost, I will never be able to be with him for eternity. I will die knowing that God loved me, but I rejected his love. Listen to me. Nobody sitting here today can say God sent me to hell when you die. Our unbelief is what condemns us. That's what the Bible says. It's our unbelief. God makes a way, and we have the, the responsibility to choose. False teaching secretly creeps in. Peter says, let me give you three examples, okay? Uh, you can write this in number three. If God judged the fallen angels, he certainly will judge rebellious man. Number four, God didn't spare a wicked world. There were eight that were saved from the ark, by the ark. Noah and his family because of God's grace. And number five, Lot, Lot was rescued because of God's love for him. You see, those are the three examples that we find in 2 Peter. If God judged the fallen angels, he will judge rebellious man. God didn't spare a wicked world. He destroyed it by way of a flood. And Lot was rescued, uh, one writer said, because he had a praying uncle, Abraham, and because of God's love for him. And let me tell you something. I, I just told these kids that God loves them more than their mom and dad do. He loves you more than anybody, amen? He loves you more than anybody. Jump back up there to number two. You see that one? What's going to help us? What is going to help us be on defense from the inner attacks of Satan? The creeping in of false teaching. Paul said every morning when you get up, dress yourself with the armor of God. On Wednesday nights, we've started something for the next eight weeks called the prayer battle plan. If you missed Wednesday, you, come on this week. You know what my, what my heart's cry is for our church? Number two is that God would make us a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Think about what you pray about. Sometimes we spend more time praying people out of heaven than we do seeing people come to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. But I'm telling you, folks, listen, prayer is a lifestyle. It's not a few minutes. It's not, it's not an hour a week. It's a lifestyle of asking God to do something you can't. The Kendricks brothers said it this way, prayer is as powerful as a willing God. Think about that. It's as powerful as a willing God. And if I'm praying in the will of God, it may be the will of God to shake things up. And I know one thing, my life needs shaking up from time to time. Does yours? Boy, we had a major tragedy at our house. Um, kids were at the house. Renee was 
heating up some things, and lo and behold, the microwave quit working. It did. Blew a fuse, Kasia. It quit working. I went outside. There it was. The breaker was tripped. I thought, oh, this is good. I can fix it. You ever try to fix something and it, it goes wrong? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Went outside, hit the breaker, and it was, it was tripped. Okay, this has got to be it. Went back in. Renee said, good. Go ahead. Hit the button again. It blew again. The light would work, and the screen look would work. But anytime you tried to cook, it was blowing something. I'm telling you, folks, we're trying to cook a lot at church without the power. And the power is the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, and that Holy Spirit of God is what's going to guard the church against the evils of the devil in the day in which we live. I'm praying that God turns us into a house of prayer. But I'm telling you, it's like wrestling cats anytime we mention prayer meeting. There's plenty of room here because nobody wants to come. Oh, a handful do, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm telling you, would you not like to see God do something in your life before you die that you cannot explain by your ability? Or we can't explain by our checkbook? or the churches, or our resources. That God would just do something so much bigger. And I believe Peter's saying, get ready. God wants to do that even in the midst of persecution, but you've gotta be willing to stand on the truth because not everybody's telling the truth. Not everybody's telling the truth. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? If I could find 50 Righteous men, I won't destroy it. And they walked it all the way down to 10. They just continued to decrease the number. If we can find this many righteous, we won't do it. And they couldn't find even those. Lot was rescued with his family. They were told not to look back. Do you remember the story? And what happened? His wife looked back. She turns into a pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, and the Bible says, as an example, for all that follow and come. You know, there's a story uh, that leads up to that where uh, messengers of God, the Bible says in Genesis 19, two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot sees them. He, he, he rises to meet them. He bows himself to the ground as they come. And men in the city recognize that some guests have come to Lot's house. And they say, let us have them so we may know them carnally. That tells you a little bit something about the condition in which they live. And Lot goes out to try to reason with them. And if you recall the story in verse 10, the Bible says, but the men reached out their hands and they pulled Lot back into the house. I believe Peter's telling us, listen, we need the hand of God to pull us back. Even if the world says, be like us, we need the hand of God to keep us lashed to the truth, even if it's unpopular. Verse 24 in Genesis 19 says, the Lord rained fire and brimstone 
on Sodom and Gomorrah. He overthrew the cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants, and what grew from the ground. Lot was rescued, this is number five, because of God's love, not because he was deserving. And you're saved this morning, Christian, because of the love of God, not because we're somehow good, but because he's merciful. Amen? He's merciful. I'll close with this. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, wherefore all have sinned, through Adam were sinners. But yet the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that even though I'm a sinner, I can be saved. Jesus died to pay a debt for me I could never pay myself. I love that. I love that about God. I love the fact that when I stand on the truth, he will deliver on his promise. We stand on the deception of the devil, we don't know what we're going to get other than an eternity away from the one who loves us most. If you'll notice the praise team, they had on nice Valentine's colors. No one called me to say we're wearing Valentine's colors. Marcia said, Brother Greg, you always wear Valentine's covers. Did you forget? And I said, oh, no, I didn't forget. There's a bouquet of flowers on our kitchen table. Let me tell you something. Sometimes I forget how much God loves me. I do my own thing, get busy with the day, have forgotten to even pray. Oh, my Bible, I didn't get to read my Bible today, but I can tell you what everybody in the church is doing on Facebook. Sometimes I forget. But one thing I am not going to move from, and that is standing on the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. You young people getting ready for college, listen, even a Christian college will let you down from time to time. You keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Amen? Amen, church? You'll look back and say, listen, I've, there have been many times in my life I've been a sorry Christian, but there's never been one time I've been sorry to become a Christian because he's always been faithful. To tell the truth, Peter said, be careful. Stand on the word of God. He'll not let you down. Would you stand, every head bowed, every eye closed?